If you would, open up your Bibles, and our reading today is going to be in Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible and you're here with us, you do. It's right in front of you, and uh, I would love for you to have it open because we're going to read through this together as we go through our message instead of reading it at the very beginning. While you're looking that up, let me ask you a question. Um, How many of you have a busier calendar Uh, for this holiday season than you did last year. More things to do and places to go than you had in the year 2020, show of hands. I think that's the case for most of us, right? Like we, we pared back quite a bit last year. Our family has a full plate too. And I have to tell you, on top of all of the, the holiday kids programs, and we have five kids, on top of the extra church activities, on top of all of the family gatherings, the fact that we just had a baby, our oldest two boys, Jake and Evan, decided to come to us about a month ago and tell us that they wanted to go out for basketball this year, both of them at the same time on different teams. That sounds great, doesn't it? And so here's, here's what happened. This past Monday, we ended up in what has become an all-too-familiar situation for the DeGroote household. Our calendar required us to be in three different places at one time. There were two different basketball games. We had a pre-planned holiday get-together with some friends in Milwaukee, and we all had to be in those places. Well, thankfully, we've got this app on our phones. We were just talking about new phones. And my wife, Alyssa, and I have our calendar app synced so that it can warn us of this all-too-familiar situation ahead of time. And so Alyssa and I sat down on Sunday afternoon, and we had to make some decisions, right, about who was going to go where so that everybody could get to where they needed to be. Because as much as we have tried, we still have not figured out how to be in three places at once. We're not able to do that, and so we have to choose. Sometimes it's a hard choice, but we have to choose where it is we will go, and it's always better if we make that decision ahead of time than waking up in the morning or coming up against a couple of appointments and realizing in that moment that there's two different places that we have to be. Well, today is the second Sunday in Advent, and it's the season of preparation. Preparation, not just to prepare for the birth of Jesus on Christmas, but even more so to prepare for when he returns. That he, we might not live as people that are being pulled in two different directions, but that we would know where we're going. And last week we learned this uh, statement that I think is going to kind of carry us throughout this season this year. That is that being prepared doesn't change what's coming, but it does change our experience. Being prepared doesn't change what's coming, but it does change our experience. Sitting down and looking at our calendar did not change the busy schedule that the DeGroote family had before us this past week, but it did change our experience. It did change our experience. And so church, we want to be a people that are prepared to receive the gifts of Christmas, We want to be a people who are prepared to receive the gifts of Christmas. Last week, that gift was hope. This week, our focus is the gift of peace. It's what the candles that are being lit each week in churches all around the globe represent. We want to be prepared. And not just for a single moment, but we want to be prepared for hope and peace in every season starting today. Because how many of us here need a little bit more of those gifts in our life right now? Just show of hands. I could use more peace. 
I could use more hope, right? And so we don't want to wait for Jesus to return. We want to be able to find those gifts in our lives today. And so we come to prepare. And we turn to the second figure in the life and story of Jesus who preaches a message of preparation. It's John the Baptist. And again, turn to the reading and we'll start reading in the gospel according to Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ithuria, and Tachaniatus and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zebedee, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Now let's pause there. We're going to continue to go through this passage, but let's pause there. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. Okay, most of us probably know that already. And not unlike my synchronized calendar, he was sent by God to warn people that a conflict is coming. A conflict is coming. People then, just like today, could not be in two places at once. And there was going to be a time where they were going to be called to the hope and peace that was coming with Jesus. And yet, in order to be present for that hope and peace. They needed to make room for Jesus to come. And these words by the prophet Isaiah are the prophecy that would call about the way in which the room would be made. And anybody who heard these words would easily understand what they were talking about. When a, when a king decided to come to your village or your town at this time, often there was not an adequate road for the entourage that would come as a king. And so they would literally have to clear the way. Think about it like a city that prepares to host the Olympics. Uh, they have to build buildings and pave roads and make sure the infrastructure around everything has been built up. The train stations and the airports and the hotel networks, all because important people are coming. The rest of the world is watching. We need to be prepared. Well, the same message is true here. When a king comes, they would literally blast through the hills. They would straighten out paths that maybe were good enough for shepherds. They were good enough for farmers. No offense, lol, right? Not good enough for a king, though, because farmers can make a lot of things work, but they were not good enough for a king. And so Luke quotes these words. John says these words. These words describe the purpose and the message that God sent John to bring. To prepare the world for a king. To prepare them for King Jesus. And the people who heard that a king was coming got excited. 
And so they came in droves to prepare. And specifically, the Jews had been waiting over 400 years for this to come to fruition. 400 years for a king to come from their own people. And so they've been waiting generations. Finally, there's a prophet who has spoken the word of God, and they're coming to hear what it is that God has said and the way in which they can prepare for the coming king who's going to bring the gifts of love and joy and peace and hope. If you were that prophet and you were welcoming all of those people, you'd probably think of a nice warm way to welcome them, wouldn't you? Maybe make some Christmas cookies. Maybe have some warm eggnog ready waiting for them. How does John the Baptist prepare these people desperate for hope, desperate themselves to prepare for the coming Jesus? How does he prepare them? Take a look at verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What do you think? Now, I haven't written, I just want to try something out on you guys. I haven't written my Christmas Eve sermon yet, but what do you think about my starting it the same way that John the Baptist started his message? What do you think? What if I got up here, you know, invite all your friends, right? Right, I'll come up. Merry Christmas, welcome to St. John's, you brood of vipers! Right, how does that sound? Does that sound welcoming? Who told you to come to this church? Repent on Christmas Eve. Have I told you, you really need to invite your friends to come to church on Christmas. It's a really warm place, you know, you know, warm and fuzzy. We're going to have hot cocoa after the services, all those things. Sh- should I start my sermon that way? Should we invite, not, not, well, well, a couple of you are like, yeah, the world needs that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little weird, though, isn't it? Like, doesn't sound the way that, that you would bring the hope of the story of Christmas to people that are desperately looking to prepare their hearts for hope. And it might not sound hopeful, but it actually is. It is good news. Where John, this, this is not the message of the gospel. It's the message of the preparation for the gospel. These people are coming to be prepared for the coming Jesus. And John wants to make sure that they're prepared the right way. It's like a young couple that's engaged to be married. They, they, they think that they're doing, we, and if you got married when you were young, you were the same way, right? You think that you're doing everything that you need to do to prepare for a healthy marriage by preparing for the wedding day. And so you go and you find a venue and you pick out a photographer and the save the date cards and you pick out the perfect cake and the perfect dress and the perfect tuxedos and all of those different things, thinking that by making those decisions that you're preparing for a marriage. But anybody who's been married for any length of time knows that none of those decisions actually prepare you for a marriage at all, do they? They don't prepare you for it at all. And, and it's not because there's anything inherently wrong with those decisions, but that's not their purpose. That's not their purpose. The purpose of the trappings of a wedding are to prepare for a single celebration, not to prepare you for a lifelong committed relationship 
to a single individual. None of those things, picking out the perfect cake, doesn't prepare you to become a parent, does it? It doesn't prepare you to become a parent. Having the right dress or the right tuxedo or picking out the right colors does not prepare you for the moment when you want to be a parent. And you can't. Because for reasons that you don't understand, it's just not working out. It's not, it's not happening yet. It doesn't prepare you for that moment where, where you find yourselves no longer on the same page that you were on your wedding day and desperately trying to get back. The trappings of a wedding are not enough to prepare for a healthy marriage. And that's why every wedding that I officiate, I remind the couple that the only way to prepare for a marriage is to prepare the way for God to be a part of that marriage. That God would be with you in the midst of your marriage, remembering that it is His Spirit that makes the two become one. Drawing oneself to the other person in mutual submission, the way in which God has designed it to be, that is the only thing that will prepare you for the marriage. The same way John the Baptist is out there baptizing people with water, and there's nothing wrong with the water. We still baptize with water today, but what he is saying is that water alone will not be enough. And there were people there that thought that it was. There were people there that were looking for a shortcut, an easy way to the peace that John is preparing them to receive. Jews came and they said that Abraham is our father, right? Because this is an ethnic group. It's their descent. They're the descendants of Abraham. This is who they are. As if that alone, being a part of the right group of people, would be enough to prepare them for the coming of Jesus. Now, first of all, verse 6 reminds us the prophecy says that Jesus would come for everyone, not just... Jewish people. But second, John says, you brood of vipers, you think that's impressive. God can raise up new children from Abraham out of the rocks. I imagine that that would be like if you thought that being Lutheran was enough to save you, he would probably come and he would say, God can raise up Lutherans out of a potluck. Same thing, right? It's not, that's not what saves you. Being Lutheran or Catholic or Baptist or Evangelical or Presbyterian or Anglican, what tribe you are a part of is not what brings you peace. And John isn't mincing his words, lest the people that are listening find their hope in the wrong thing and don't find hope at all. It's just like my calendar. When I, when I add an event to my calendar and there's already another event scheduled for that day, I get a warning. This is the warning I get. If any of you use a calendar on your phone, you know exactly Karen is nodding. You see that a lot, right? Right. It says potential conflict. Are you sure you want to schedule? And then there's a little prompt that says that I can edit the appointment. Now, would it be helpful for me? Because I don't like that. If I just wrote an email to the programmers and asked them to change the prompt a little bit, this is my thought. Go to the next one. Potential conflict. I wanted to say this. Hey there. I don't really want to bother you. I know you're busy, but you might have a few other things on your calendar that day. You know what, though? I'm sure it'll all work out. Don't worry about it. Forget I mentioned it. Schedule anyway. <laughs> what do you think? Do you, do you like that feature? Do you, should we sign a petition right now? Send that to Apple. Send that to Google. Well, I want them to put that in the calendar app. Would that be helpful? No. <laughs> 
No, I mean, we're all laughing because maybe it would make us feel better in the moment. But if I'm going to be expected to be in two different places at the same time and I physically can't do that, the only thing that can help me is knowing ahead of time, right? The only thing that's going to be helpful is to know ahead of time so that I can choose where I'm going to go. Friends, that's John's message. It's very simple. That's John's message. John says, be prepared. And to be prepared, there's only one way to go. It is the way of repentance. And the word repentance sounds like something we hold up on a sign or a billboard or something like that. It sounds all legalistic and all that. And yes, sometimes that's the way it can feel, just like the potential conflict sign makes me feel, right? But what it means to repent is to turn from one thing in order to turn to another. And that word causes anxiety, just like the prompt on my phone causes anxiety. I think, man, i got to be in two different places. I have to choose? I don't want to choose. I don't want to have to choose. But you do have to choose. You have to choose. I have to choose. And when it comes, you will have to choose, even if you choose to ignore it today and pretend like the conflict doesn't exist. And so John is out in the wilderness saying, prepare now. Prepare right now. Choose the right path. And you'll know you're choosing the right path because you'll actually see fruit in your life if you have prepared for the coming of Jesus. In the same way, you'll know that you've chosen the wrong path if you don't see fruit, if you're just choosing what's on the surface. And what is on the surface? Well, we already see it, right? Traditions. As if because I live in the same bucket or the same group of people that that's enough or going through the motions. This is why people can be really religious and still not find the fruit of the gifts of Jesus' presence living in every other part of their life. You can even go to church on Christmas and still not be prepared for Jesus. And so the question becomes now, Luke chapter 10, or 3, verse 10, the crowd said, what should we do then? I mean, aren't you wondering the same question? They've come to John. Being Jewish isn't enough, and being dunked in the water isn't enough. So what do I do to prepare for the coming of Jesus? That's what they ask. Don't you want to know? He gives some very specific answers. Look at verse 11. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anybody who has food should do the same. Now, that sounds like an odd statement, right? John says, if you really want to be prepared for the coming of Jesus, take what you have and give some of it away to those who don't have. That's the way you prepare. And and it might sound odd, and yet, you don't even have to be religious to know that this is exactly how you prepare. Is this not the season of giving, right? People that don't even believe in God are out volunteering in soup kitchens in December and giving gifts and doing all sorts of different things. Uh, Charity giving skyrockets in the month of December because people, religious or otherwise, instinctively know that giving is a way in which we prepare ourselves to experience what we call the true meaning of the season, right? Like, we know this instinctively. And so maybe the holiest thing that you and I can do this Christmas isn't only to come to church, but then it is to turn around and sacrificially give yourself 
away. The giving tree, as you walk in and out of the church, that is a gift. That is an act of worship. That is a way in which we prepare for the coming of Jesus in our hearts. And I have to point this out too, and it, it kind of dawned on me actually after I was finished writing my sermon, but you'll notice here, we're going to go through a couple more examples. Everything John tells us to do to prepare for the coming of Jesus in our own lives benefits other people around us. Everything you do to prepare for the coming of Jesus is going to just automatically benefit the people around you. The person who doesn't have a shirt has a shirt now because you are preparing for the coming of the Prince of Peace in your own life. This is the way our faith works. It's a beautiful thing, and it's the way in which God uses us to change the world. Verse 12, even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? If I'm a tax collector, how do I prepare? John answered the question, don't collect any more than you're required to. If you want to prepare, he says, very simple, stop lying. <laughs> don't take advantage of other people. That's what tax collectors did. Uh, and before you judge them, this is just the way in which they got paid. The Roman Empire would, would subcontract with tax collectors. And they would go out and they would collect the taxes. And Caesar didn't care how much they collected so long as Caesar got what Caesar was getting, what had coming to him, okay? And so if you were a tax collector and you were, you were big and burly and you could successfully shake out of somebody twice as much as the government was expecting, all the more power to you and you got to keep the change. How do you think people felt about tax collectors in that day? Because this is the way that they lived. And so John says to the tax collector, you're a tax collector? You want to prepare for the way of Jesus? Stop doing that. <laughs> Stop doing that. Do your job with integrity. He's not telling you not to take a little bit more so that you can provide for your family. This is your job after all, but do it with integrity. And I look at that, and I look at our world today. Is that not a huge area that our culture is deficient in right now? Integrity. And I'm not just talking about outside the church. I'm talking about all of us, right? How many of us have almost thought that it's a Christian thing to say that the evil means justify the end? Don't ask the questions for how we get there as long as we're going to get there. We think that filter through when we think of politics. We think it through in our jobs. We do it in so many different places. Some of us even believe that that is a Christian perspective. Well, maybe the road to get there was a little bit evil, but we were going to the right place. It's not. John says that if you want to prepare for Jesus, stop doing that. Demand integrity in every area of your life, whether somebody's watching or not. Demand it and live it to care about people. Care about the people that are less fortunate than you. Care about people groups that maybe your group of people have been able to, to find advantages because it's come at the expense of others. Don't cheat on your taxes. Tip more generously than you normally would when you go out to eat. It can be as simple as if your job is, is, is a job where, where you're commission-based and you sell things. Maybe, maybe to prepare for Jesus this Christmas season, you cut someone who needs it a deal. 
you don't take as much as you can. Or maybe you're a little bit higher up on the ladder and so you give the commission to somebody who's a little bit lower and just starting out and they could really use it. Luke 3.14, then some of the soldiers asked John, what should we do to prepare for the coming of the king? And he replied, don't exhort money, don't accuse people falsely, be content with your pay. Same, same kind of thing here. Soldiers had broad authority and they had limited accountability. Broad authority and limited accountability. Pax Romana was the term, the Latin term to describe this period of history in that region. And it's, it means Roman peace. And it describes the relative peace that the Roman Empire experienced during that time. And they did experience peace. But that peace came at a cost. Their approach to peace was basically like this. Be at peace or I will put you at peace. You get it? You get it? That's the way the culture lived. You want Caesar to leave you alone? Pay up, be quiet, and move over. It's the only way. It's the only way. Or they would make you quiet And they would move you over, and they would take everything. This is the way that people were living. And so Luke here just cherry-picks a couple of examples. But I can assume that in addition to the tax collectors and soldiers, that there were people asking Jesus from all walks of life, how do we prepare? There were people, there were teachers, there were parents, there were spouses, there were business owners, there were doctors, there were religious leaders. There were farmers, there were shepherds, there were carpenters, there were conservatives, there were progressives, there was rich and poor and educated and uneducated, all of them asking the same question, what should we do to prepare? The same question that you should be asking. And the same question that I should be asking as well. What can I do to prepare the way for Jesus? And there's two guiding principles that I'll leave you with to begin to answer that question because it's going to be a little bit different for all of us. The first one is this, is I think, how do I prepare for the way of Jesus? The first one is know who it is that's coming, Jesus. Jesus is the one that's coming because we prepare in the holidays or any time of year based on who it is that's coming, right? Like if my brother called me this afternoon and said, hey, I'm going to stop by the house. Here's the way I would prepare. I make sure we got something cold in the refrigerator to drink and some frozen pizza. <laughs> Cheese, because he's not picky. That's all, right? That's all I have to do. Now, if you know your in-laws are coming over for Christmas, right? Some of you just got an anxiety attack. Like, sorry, You know, you got to clean behind the refrigerator, right? Because your mother-in-law is going to look there, right? You know, you prepare differently based on who it is that's coming. Who's coming determines how you prepare. The people were preparing for the coming of Jesus. But John clarifies that to make sure they know that it's the coming of him and not the coming of John himself. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and all were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Is this the one to come? And so John answered them all. He said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. 
John makes it very clear that he is just the messenger. The one who is coming is going to separate the wheat from the chaff, is going to bring the wheat into the barn where it will be protected from the fire outside. John himself would soon say to his own disciples, the people that chose their lives to follow him and to be a part of his mission, he would say to them in John 3.30, he, meaning Jesus, must become greater. I, meaning John, must become less. And so a question for us to ask is, if we're preparing for the coming of Jesus, what in your life and mine must become less so that Jesus can become greater? Practically speaking, what on our calendar needs to go so that we have room, not only for Jesus himself, but after you know who it is that's coming, know what Jesus came to bring. What is it that Jesus comes to bring? Hope, peace, love, joy. These are the gifts, which means, and this is hope, that your job and mine is not to produce those things that we need the most. If you need peace, if you need hope, if you need joy, if you need love this Christmas, it is not your job to fabricate those things or produce those things or bring those things. Your job and mine is to prepare a place at the table of our hearts for Jesus. You bring the Christmas ham. He won't bring that. You bring the ham. Jesus will bring the peace. We make a way for Jesus so that Jesus can make a way for peace. We make a way for Jesus so that Jesus can make a way for peace. Friends, as busy as this season is, and and it is for me too. I I gave you just one example from this week. I could probably preach this sermon every Sunday. (laughs) The truth is, though, and this just kind of hit me this week, that you and I are going to have just enough time to accomplish whatever it is that we're going to accomplish this year. By December 31st, you are going to have just enough time. You're not going to have enough time to accomplish everything you want. That's not what I'm saying. And chances are you're probably like me. You're probably not going to have enough time to do everything you've written down on your calendar, even if you have tried to figure out all the conflicts. Chances are, by the end of the month, there are going to be things that are going to be missed. There are going to be gifts that you didn't get a chance to purchase. There are going to be parties you didn't get a chance to attend. There are to-dos that will be left undone. But December 31st will come for you. It will come for me. And we will have gotten done what we will have gotten done. And so today, in the beginning of December, John's message is prepare. Prepare to have gotten through the right things. To have shown up at the most important places. Prepare room in your life so that when the king comes to your village and knocks on your door, you will be prepared to invite him in that you might receive his gift. So let's let's bow our heads and pray about that right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you on this second Sunday of Advent and we have all chosen in this moment 
to be available that your spirit might prepare us for the coming king. That's why we're here. And God, we thank you that it is not something that is contingent upon what tribe we belong to or the outer trappings of our traditions, as important and meaningful as those might be, but the only way in which we can prepare for you to come into our hearts is to repent, is to look at our lives and ask the holy question, in order to say yes to you, are there things in my life I have to say no to? Are there places in my life that I have been living in in less than integrity? Have I been overbooked and overwhelmed? And it's hard because there's so many expectations that come upon us. So many of us, it's not even about ourselves. This is about what everybody else expects of us. And so help us this Advent season to be prepared of what you expect. You expect nothing. You expect nothing from us. You've already accomplished it all. The only thing we can possibly do to prepare for your coming is the same thing anyone does when they receive a gift that they didn't pay for, that they don't deserve, and that is to open up our hands. It is to open up our hearts. And yes, God, I believe that at times it is to open up our schedules, to say no to one thing, that we might be able to say yes to you. And so, God, would you show us the way? Show us how to prepare for your peace in our life. Show us what we need to turn toward and turn away from, that we might make a place for you at the table of our hearts that we might invite you in and that you might give us what only you can give, which is your peace.